Well, the reading and preaching of God's Word this morning comes from the Epistle of James in the New Testament. If you turn there in your pew Bibles uh, to James chapter 1, I'm going to be reading verses 12 through 18, but our focus this morning will especially be on verses 16 to 18, focusing especially on verse 17, where we read, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. A comforting truth as we enter uh, this new calendar year. I'll be begin reading here at verse 12, James chapter 1. This is uh, God's holy word, inspired, uh, infallible, inerrant in its quality. And so we give thanks for this wonderful gift from God to, to guide us uh, through the, the life that we live. James chapter 1, verse 12 here. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We're going to end our reading of James there. We're going to turn back to this passage, though, and, and a few others this morning, too. So please keep your Bibles open in front of you um, so that we can look at God's Word and study it well together this morning. Well, today we uh, cross off the last day on our 2023 calendars. And many of us uh, will gather with friends and loved ones tonight to count down the seconds until the new year arrives, not before coming to evening worship, of course. And then, if you're a Chino resident, you have something to look forward to tonight, struggling to drift asleep amidst all of the loud bangs of fireworks well into the morning. But perhaps tomorrow, tomorrow as we hang up that fresh, new 2024 annual calendar, Many of us are going to experience some mixed thoughts, some mixed emotions as we make that formal transition from the old year into the new year. And on one hand, I suppose there's a, a good deal of excitement as we enter a new calendar year. There's uh, the prospect of starting over again uh, with fresh hopes and, and dreams, goals and expectations. But on the other hand, Many of us, if not most of us, are going to carry uh, old struggles and old trials and fears from the old year into the new year. And there may be feelings of anxiety and uncertainty about what will happen over the next 365 days of our life. So there's sort of a question that, that lingers as we stand on the cusp of a new year, and, the, and the, the question is, what is the source of our perspective as we go forward? What's our source of perspective? 
Our minds can so easily be clouded by our struggle to understand what is happening in our lives. To understand why God would bring such circumstances to us. Sometimes we even go so far as to find fault with God. And so what will be our perspective in 2024? Will we vainly attempt to figure things out by desperately diagnosing our circumstances? Or will we get our perspective from the truth of God's word? Well, James, the brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, he wrote this inspired letter uh, to suffering and scattered Christians. And many of these Christians were poor, they were oppressed. Some of them lacked the wisdom to, to trust God amidst the, the trials of their life without wavering. And he writes this book in part to answer their doubts, to answer their distress. And, and James points these Christians, as he points us this morning, to, to the unchanging character of God. And he says that what they need most, what we need most, is to anchor our lives and our hope, not in our ability to make sense of our circumstances, but to anchor our lives and our hope in the character, in the goodness of God. A God in whom there is no shadow, no prospect of change. So we're going to look at that this morning together. God's unchanging character and then God's unchanging goodness. You probably noticed as I read these few verses, especially verse 17, that, that we find here the core confession of this passage. Verse 17 says that our Heavenly Father is one with whom there is no variation, no shadow of change. And you may have noticed that, that James refers to God, our Heavenly Father here, in a, in a unique way, a way that we don't really find anywhere else in the pages of Scripture. James calls God the Father of lights. You may have wondered what lights uh, is James referring to there. Well, James seems to be referring, by calling God the, the Father of lights, he seems to be referring to the heavenly bodies, the sun, the moon, the stars. And he's reminding us that, that God is the powerful creator of those lights. He's the one who set them in their fixed orbit. He reminds us that their regular movements are used by us to mark the, the passage of days and time and seasons. The sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, they're evidence of God's power, of his continual providence, his care for this world that he's made. But the comforting truth of our confession that God is the father of lights is that God is not like the heavenly lights. Our heavenly father does not change like the heavens do. The moon goes through constant phases. Our lives are lived out as the experience of, of the regular variation of night and day, night and day, sunrise, sunset. Our minds and bodies and emotions are constantly changing with the passage of time. Every created thing undergoes necessary change. It's, it's, it's in our DNA. It's what it means to be a created being. But unchangeableness, changelessness, is a property that God alone knows. 
And the rest of scripture testifies to the unchanging character of God, what we sometimes call his immutability, his changelessness. We're reminded in Psalm 102, for example, that everything around us changes in creation, but God remains who he is. The psalmist says, of old you laid the foundations of the earth. The heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like an old garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away. But you, O oh God, the psalmist says, you are the same and your years have no end. And for that reason, the children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. It's a comforting thing to know that our God does not change in who he is. He remains God. He remains who he is. Because of his unchanging character, his plans don't change. His will doesn't change. In 1 Samuel 15, God reminds us that he's not a human being, that he should lie or, or change his mind. What he determines to do, he does it without failure. Paul in Romans chapter 11 rejoices that God is faithful to his people. He's faithful to his promises. Even though his people go astray from time to time, God will not default on his covenant promises. He will remain faithful. And that's good news not just for the church as a whole. It's good news for you and me as individuals. Paul in, in Philippians 1.6 says that he who has begun a good work in us will see it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. God, because he's unchanging in his will, in his plan, he's not going to abandon his, his work within each and every one of us by his spirit. He's going to see it to the end. He's going to complete that work. And we can be certain of that, that God will complete his work according to his unchangeable will because he constantly has one interceding for us. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who Hebrews 13 says, is the same Yesterday, today, and forever. Malachi 3 verse 6 sums it up very well. I, the Lord, do not change. God is unchanging in his being, in his knowing, in his willing, in his loving. He is the personification of integrity and reliability. And what that means for us is that we need to stop sifting our perspective on life through our changing circumstances. We need to seek our answers instead from our sovereign, unchanging, and dependable God and his unchanging word. When we do that, when we look to God, when we look to his word in faith, God does several things. First, he corrects our wrong views of him and of our circumstances. And then he reveals his unchanging goodness, his unchanging goodness. You may notice that the section uh, that I just read, these few verses from James, begins, maybe surprisingly, uh, with a warning. Look at me at verse 16. James begins and he says this, Don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Now he's going to go on in the very next verse and he's going to speak about God as the source of all good things, all good and perfect gifts. But first, 
James needs to correct his readers and our wrong views about who God is, our deceptive thoughts about who God is. And his warning not to be deceived uh, refers back to what he's just said, verses 12 through 15. I read that earlier, but I'd like to read it again. This is the context in which James says, don't be deceived about God. He says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. And that's when James says, do not be deceived. What is James' point here? James wants us to understand that the spiritual trials that God sometimes sends into our lives are intended to produce steadfastness. Those trials are intended to produce faithfulness in our hearts as God's children. But he wants us to not be deceived. He wants us to be on guard because he says trials can have the opposite effect. If a person's heart is clouded by doubt and self-pity, a person who has taken their spiritual eyes off of the unchanging character of God and has begun to focus instead on their circumstances as the litmus test of God's faithfulness, may very easily fall into the miserable mindset of thinking that God is not good after all. That perhaps God is slow to answer our prayers. That maybe he is miserly in giving his gifts rather than generous. That perhaps maybe it is God who is the one who is enticing me to sin in the midst of my struggle. So James jumps in and he, he says, no, don't be deceived, brothers. Don't believe the devil's lie about God. The unchangeably holy God cannot be tempted with evil, and he certainly tempts no one with it. If you are living in sin, he says, that's your sin. Your sin alone. So when we are beset by trying circumstances, we must not imagine things about God that are not true. For when we doubt his unchanging character, when we doubt his unchanging goodness, then we can only fall deeper into despair and worry and find ourselves even more vulnerable to Satan's attacks and deceptions. No, when we struggle with unanswered questions about our circumstances, we must not turn inward to our doubts and despair and anxiety. When, we, we are, when we're troubled by unanswered questions, we need to go to the one whose promises are steadfast, to the one whose goodness is unchangeable. We must seek our life and our goodness from God alone. And that's what James emphasizes here. He says, don't be deceived into thinking that your trials mean that God isn't good. On the contrary, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. James uses some poetic language here, basically to express that God is the most generous gift giver ever. There is no better gift giver, no purer 
giver of gifts than God himself. In fact, even the trials, even the unpleasant periods of life that he sends are not worthless, not purposeless, but intended for our good. Notice the way James begins his letter here in, in, in chapter 1, verse 2. This is how he starts. Count it all joy, my brothers. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces something. It produces steadfastness. And so let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The Apostle Paul in Romans 8:28, a favorite passage of many of us, says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things, both the pleasant and the unpleasant, the delightful and the difficult, all things, work together for our good, for those who are called according to God's purposes. Scripture as a whole is very clear. The God of the heavenly lights only sends down good gifts to his children. Never bad. Sometimes those good gifts may come in wrapping that is somewhat unpleasant for us to, to experience or open. But God only sends down good gifts. It may be hard, if not impossible, right now to see how things like besetting illness or anxiety or financial distress or a rebellious child or the death of a loved one, how those things could be for our ultimate good. And very often, it's simply not something for us to know. But what we do know what is the anchor for our souls is that every one of God's gifts, everything that his sovereign hand dispenses into our lives is in fact good because they are the gifts of a God who is unchangeably good and can only do what is good. God's purposes in your life, whether in dispensing victory or dispensing pain, those purposes are unchangeably good. And as if we really needed an example of God's unchanging goodness, James gives us one here in verse 18. After saying that God is the giver of every good gift and every perfect good gift, the God in whom there is no, no chance, no whisper of change, we read this in verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. <clears throat> James says, one of the best examples of God's good gifts to us is the fact that God has brought each and every one of us forth. He, he has given us new spiritual life. He's given us rebirth by the word that was preached to us. What more do we need? What more do we need as we enter this new year? Our health may be taken from us. Our financial security may begin to, to wobble. Our family may go through some significant trials. God may answer some of our prayers with a no instead of a yes. But what more do we need? 
If all else fails, we have this. That God's grace has been delivered to each and every one of us through the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. A gospel that's proclaimed from this pulpit twice a Sunday. A word that the Spirit uses to give us new and everlasting spiritual life with God. What more do we need? In fact, James goes on and says that as those who are redeemed, purified by Christ, we live as a, as a foretaste, as a down payment of God's redemptive purposes that one day will encompass the entire earth. He calls us the first fruits of his creatures. And James here is, is hearkening to, uh, to what Paul says in, in Romans chapter 8. If you have your Bibles out, please turn there with me. Romans 8, beginning at verse 18. Romans 8, 18, Paul is talking about our future glory in comparison to the, to the temporary trials that we experience right now in this life. And he connects us as the redeemed to what God intends to do, not just for us, not just for his church, but for all of creation. Look what he says here. Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Paul says that as the adopted sons and daughters of God in Christ, we have the, the first fruits, we have the initial harvest of new creation life in the spirit. We are evidence of what God has already done and, and will do in even greater measure on the day of Christ's return when he restores all things. But right now, as we wait, we continue to groan inwardly along with creation itself, which has been subjected to the futility of sin. We long, we groan for, we, we anticipate the full day of redemption when the effects of sin will be totally wiped away and we'll take on our new resurrection bodies. We wait for faith, in faith for the full harvest to come. And Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2, we must stand firm upon our belief in this marvelous truth, the truth that every good and perfect gift, including the marvelous gift of new life in Jesus, those gifts come from above, from our unchanging God and his unchanging goodness. How do we stand firm in that confession, in the midst of this wicked age, in the midst of the, the trials that sometimes come. We stand firm in that confession in the strength of our Savior, who is the original first fruits of God's new creation. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits. It's the initial harvest. It's the guarantee of our resurrection from the dead, our victory over Satan and sin. And that, that Savior, that risen Lord, he reigns from heaven right now over every foe that would stand against him in his church. He reigns. He reigns. God has put everything under his feet and by faith we reign with him right now until the day when God will subject all powers to Jesus, Jesus Christ. And we are called right now to live our lives in the confidence of that faith, that profession, knowing that through our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, every promise of God's unchangeable goodness will be fulfilled in us through Jesus. Friends, this is the glorious truth that you can carry through into the new year. No matter what circumstances you might have to endure. No matter what trial the Lord might bring into your life. This is the glorious truth that you carry into 2024. The truth that God is unwaveringly faithful. He's unwaveringly good, unwaveringly generous and strong. That he's a God who delights to use trials to refine and strengthen our faith so that we would stand steadfast in this wicked age. A God who uses these trials to increase our knowledge of who he truly is. To know that God's good gifts, even when they come packaged in sorrow, always make us focus on God's unchangeable character and focus on his promise to save us to the uttermost. And so may God grant you all that knowledge that confidence, that trust in the new year that is coming. Amen. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, as we come to you in worship on the cusp of a new year, we, we come with burdened hearts. Hearts that seek answers about the trials and circumstances that we have endured and this year that is passing as we enter a new year with questions about the future. Are we so grateful that we can go to you, a God in whom there is no whisper of change, no variation or shadow due to change. God was dependable and reliable. A God was always faithful to your word and to your promise. Lord, you have already acted on our behalf in, in the most marvelous way possible. You have sent your son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us from Satan's sin, death, and hell. We have a hope and a future as those who have been given new spiritual life through the Holy Spirit by the preaching of the word. Lord, if that is all we have coming into this new year, that is all we need. So, Lord, as we go forward into this new year, give us con the confidence of faith, knowing that you are a God to whom we can go, a God in whom we can trust, a God who is worthy of our worship and service. <coughs> Lord, we pray that you would meet our needs in this coming year, that you'd glorify your name through bringing us through trials by uh, giving us periods of joy and calm, 
We pray that our response will be one of faith. We would not look to ourselves or our own resources, but we look to you in every season of life and glorify you as the God, of, the God and creator of the lights, but who does not change, but who holds all things together in our lives and in the universe according to your perfect will. You are worthy of our trust, worthy of our worship. May we give it willingly and joyfully. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.